Hey, it's Dave Breckenridge, and you're listening to 10.3. Today, I turn the microphones over to Stuart Thompson and Brian Platt in the National Post's Ottawa Bureau so they can talk about the latest in the Conservative Party of Canada's leadership race. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your favorite shows. We'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and definitely tell your friends about us. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Conservative Leadership Notebook. This is our weekly show where we talk about the big stories, the small stories, and the Jason Kenney stories in the race to replace Andrew Scheer. My name is Brian Platt. I'm a political reporter with the National Post. And I'm Stuart Thompson. I'm also a politics reporter at The Post. And we're going to open the show the way we open every week by talking about the big story. And man, Jason Kenney has entered this race in a big way. The news broke uh, shortly before we are recording this that Jason Kenney is endorsing Aaron O'Toole for the conservative leadership. Stuart, is this the biggest endorsement available in this race? I think so. I think if you assume that Stephen Harper won't get his hands dirty and endorse anyone specifically, yeah, I don't think there's anyone more important or a bigger name to endorse. And also consequential, because Jason Kenney has a network, and that's going to be used in this race. Kenney, currently Alberta Premier, on his way to becoming Alberta Premier, united the two uh, right-wing Alberta parties. I mean, Kenney's been talked about himself as a potential federal leader uh, many times, and instead chose to go the Alberta route, and has a pretty iron grip on Alberta politics for the foreseeable future, I would say. But it's not just Alberta why this matters, right? Yeah. I mean, I was a reporter in Alberta when he started uniting those parties, and it was really something to behold because it doesn't just happen because Jason Kenney says he wants it to happen. He had to travel all around the province. He had to go riding by ridings, association by association, convincing people to merge the two parties, win the leadership of one party, merge them, win the leadership of the new party. And that kind of stuff, I mean, he's got a lot of names in the Rolodex. And just by being a premier, you have that anyways. But Jason Kenney's unique path to that job, I think, makes him a very important character in this race. He was one of the highest profile cabinet ministers during Stephen Harper's era. Him, Peter McKay, John Baird, and Ron Ambrose, really. Yep. I guess that's probably the conversation. Yeah. But he was also important to the party in a specific way during the Harper years, which is that the guy was a relentless organizer, particularly among ethnic communities in the Toronto area. And that's where he got the nickname Minister of Curry in a Hurry. Yeah. But he built up very strong relationships with leaders of religious organizations and community groups and um, Asian groups, African groups, Muslim groups. I mean, in any, any Chinese groups. I mean, anybody that you can think of who holds a lot of sway in terms of their local communities, Jason Kenney probably had a relationship with them. Yeah. I actually was just talking to someone from Calgary who was talking about you hear this a lot in conservative circles, just how people talk about his schedule. If he comes home for a weekend, he'll do like 20 events, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then go back when he was in Ottawa, he'd go back to Ottawa and work 16-hour days. I mean, the one thing he's not lacking is a work ethic. And I'm sure his plate is pretty full as premier of Alberta right now, especially with they're trying to sell a, a pretty cut-heavy budget right now. But, you know, if you've got him on your side, 
it's it's nice to have. He's going to be doing that in in your behalf. He's he's not a magic worker. I mean, I he came out during the federal election campaign, and I actually came to some of his events in the GTA to try to help Andrew Shear and the Conservatives rally some of those GTA suburban ridings, and they basically still got shut out. So it's not like he can magically deliver any riding he wants to, but. The guy's endorsement really matters. I mean, he is a. I saw him in those rooms. He's a, he was a rock star. Yeah, and actually, that is something Aaron O'Toole has been saying in this race is for conservatives to form government, we need to win the suburbs, the nine hundred five around Toronto, and that is it's kind of the same message that Jason Kenney's been saying for twenty years now. So the field is now settled. We've passed the entry deadline. So there's no big names waiting in the sidelines to get in. This is the field. Eight candidates and two people who are frontrunners. But even among the two people who we consider frontrunners, O'Toole and Peter McKay, McKay was seen by many to be head and shoulders above O'Toole, uh, widely perceived to be the strong frontrunner. And so do you think that this endorsement is going to change that narrative? Yeah, I I think the question is, how much can we really know about that? And as reporters, this is a very murky thing to report on because, you know, our main source of information is talking to a lot of people on the ground, a lot of people who are involved in this. And nobody really has a big incentive to tell us the unvarnished truth about this. So if you're Peter McKay and you think you're running away with this thing, there's very little to be gained by telling everybody that and then letting everybody become overconfident, and then maybe not working as hard towards that end. If you are Aaron O'Toole and you're getting smoked, there's not a lot to be gained by getting that out there. So what he would want to do is say, look, we're in this, we're really close, so work really hard and we could win this thing. So it's a tough thing. And then there's polling, but polling also has problems because we're talking about party members here and there's no for sure way to get at what all of them are thinking at any given time. And then on top of that, this is a ranked ballot. So we're looking at second choice possibly coming into play. That's a really hard thing to get at. So things are pretty murky, but you know, our sense is that Jason Kenney commands a lot of respect and influence in the party, so it will matter. Let's pause there for a second and talk about the poll that came out uh, earlier this week from Leger, commissioned by the Canadian Press. Mm-hmm. That poll had had McKay in front, but I, I mean, wh- what were the numbers specifically? Uh, McKay has 38% of likely conservative voters. So people who say that they would consider voting conservative in an election, 38% of them um, favored McKay, and then it was 9% for O'Toole. Right. And a large percentage of undecided, 47, something yeah. like that. The problem with a poll like this is none of these people may even be conservative party members. These are yeah. people who may vote for the party in the election. And in terms of the actual party membership, it's quite a bit smaller than that. Yeah. And, you know, just specifically with O'Toole's type of campaign, which is meant to go to people who are conservative members, the issues they're concerned about, not really worrying about the kind of moderate middle. So the poll taking into account likely voters, people who are not members but would likely vote conservative, probably more likely to go for McKay given the campaign he's running. So it is really hard to draw anything from a poll like this. And also people who are not paying a ton of attention to the race. Peter McKay's name recognition. I mean, that is the big advantage he has going for them. So it's really hard. I mean, I talked to somebody on the McKay campaign who also said, I I put zero stock in that poll. I mean, they'll have some of their own numbers, but it is very hard to accurately pull a leadership race. Yeah, the numbers that we would be really keen to see would be how many people they've signed up 
and how much money they're raising. We get a rough sense of that from the campaigns, but nobody's going to tell us these numbers straight up. And even money doesn't necessarily mean anything because Carolyn Mulroney, when she ran for the Ontario PC leadership in 2018, after Patrick Brown was forced out, stepped down, Carolyn Mulroney raised a ton of money. I mean, I think if she didn't raise the most, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, she was pretty close to the most and she was nowhere near the most in votes. And so just because you're a big name connected to wealthy people who want to organize fundraisers for you, does not mean you're going to get the votes necessarily. It obviously helps. Money helps. Yeah, and in certain contexts, being seen as the person who's loved by the elites and the rich people can be bad for you. I mean, it's not, it can sometimes work the other way. When we stay on McKay, Kenny endorsing O'Toole is kind of an interesting comment about Kenny's relationship with McKay. And this is not the first time that we've seen in this race Kenny intervene. Kenny tried to get Ronna Ambrose into the race, saying publicly he wanted her to run. Then he said publicly he wanted John Baird to run. Kenny has been trying to find an alternative. Yeah, he's really casting around for anyone to run against McKay. And I I think maybe you can run the risk of reading too much into this. But one thing we do know for sure is that Jason Kenny spent a lot of time working at the same table as Peter McKay. And just the fact that he seemed desperate to get anybody else in the race. And, you know, you could probably, you know, look at that as maybe he just wanted more competition. Maybe he just wanted somebody to represent Alberta, being Alberta Premier. But now, I mean, endorsing Aaron O'Toole over McKay. And then you just wrote the story, right? He wasn't overly flattering about McKay and his endorsement, right? No, well, he one line is a specific shot at McKay, which is right after the October election, McKay called same-sex marriage and abortion were stinking albatrosses around Shear's neck that Shear, when Andrew Shear could not effectively state his position on those. And in his message put out today, Jason Kenney says, Aaron O'Toole would never refer to somebody's deeply held beliefs as a stinking albatross. I mean, that is a that is a direct shot at Peter McKay. Yeah. And it, it actually is kind of rare, right? Like, if you are the premier of a province it is often well-advised to stay out of the fray. Yeah. And you can endorse someone, but maybe don't get you know too involved in the back and forth. So this is a little bit rare. And especially if you are looking at polls and you think McKay is going to run away with it and could potentially be the leader of the party that Kenny is a member of, and then potentially be prime minister if they beat Justin Trudeau's liberals in the next election— Kenny is setting himself up for some awkward conversations if that happens, uh, and he doesn't seem to care about that. Yeah, no kidding. And Kenny also didn't endorse anybody explicitly in the 2017 leadership race that Andrew Shear won. I saw somebody, uh, another reporter, saying that there was lots of talk that Kenny was had been supporting Andrew Shear, sort of behind the scenes, but Kenny never came out and endorsed. So the fact that he came out, now that he's premier and endorsed, yeah. and so in some ways more politically risky. Yeah. And endorsed Peter McKay. I mean... Actually, Kenny and Shear are pals. Like, they're buddies. Oh, yeah, sorry. Opposed Peter McKay. I mean, that just... Kenny really does not want Peter McKay to be <laughs> to win this leadership race. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that at this point. And I, that is the sense. I mean, I still have contacts in Alberta and the UCP and the Conservative Party there. There is not widespread excitement about Peter McKay. I mean, there are MPs and there are people who support Peter McKay, but what you mainly hear from Alberta is people wistfully wishing that Ron Ambrose had run. The interesting thing about this from our perspective, kind of the exciting thing actually, is that this really seems to make it more of a race now. Yeah. And it's possible. I mean, obviously, if you're 
Team O'Toole, you are trying to just win outright. I don't know. I suspect that the, to win, however, the clearest path to victory for them is to keep this thing close and then get enough support on the ranked ballot to make it through. Yeah. And so for that reason, that kind of segues into our next segment here, which we're going to talk inside baseball. And this is what's going on among the lesser-known candidates among the race. We're past the first deadline. This happened after we recorded our show last week. The party did not allow Richard Descaray to run. We don't know specifically the reason. Descaray was a Quebec guy, former political staffer, who had big support from social conservatives and got himself in a lot of trouble by going on TV and saying that being gay is a choice in his view. He said other things too, but that was the one that seemed to really set people off. The party blocked him from running, which is a big move for the party. Mm-hmm. Although it does not seem to be overly controversial. I'm not seeing people out on street corners with signs protesting this move. I mean, people seem to just, I guess because most people thought Descartes was not likely to be a huge factor in the race regardless. But the social conservatives are always a factor in the conservative leadership race. Yeah. And Descartes being out now means... There's two other, well, there's three others, but two in particular who have strong support, which is Derek Sloan, a conservative MP, and Leslyn Lewis, a Toronto lawyer. And Descari is lined up behind Sloan. And I wonder if that means Sloan gets through. We should, so the thing that matters now, we've got a second deadline coming up, which is March 25th. And if you don't make that deadline, you're not on the final ballot and you don't get into the debates, the official mm-hmm. debates. So by March 25th, these candidates are under the gun now to raise $300,000 and collect 3,000 signatures. The money's the big one, $300,000 at a lot of money. And so does Descartes backing Sloan help? The field of social conservatives has shortened a little bit. Yeah. And so maybe that means that, that more resources get pooled behind the fewer people. Yeah. And these are tight and enthusiastic networks. So now if you're Derek Sloan, you have his network, which was already there and had gotten him past the first deadline. And now he's pulled in this other network. Who knows how enthusiastic they will be for Sloan just because he was endorsed by Descartes. Yeah. But there's a reason why they were helping. Descartes had the support of Brad Trost and other uh, well-known conservatives who have strong organizations because Descartes had his own network. That was the plan anyway in Quebec. So if he's putting that plan to work for Sloan, the reason why this matters is how many other candidates get on the ballot, the final ballot, may matter a lot for the results. Because if O'Toole and McKay are close, you know, second, third choice votes from social conservatives could be what puts O'Toole over the top. That's yeah. ba- that's how Andrew Shear won. Yeah. And I mean, he had other support too, but it, SOCON support was huge for Andrew Shear. Yeah. And the peril, I think, for the O'Toole campaign is if, if these people don't make the cutoff, then perhaps that's a pool of voters who just won't bother. Like, they may not cast a vote. They just don't come out. Yeah. Yeah. And so if they're very enthusiastic about Derek Sloan, and then they say, but I really don't want Peter McKay to win, so I'm going to put Aaron O'Toole as my second choice. Then, you know, once the runoff starts happening in the ranked ballot, those votes accumulate for Aaron O'Toole. So, you know, the more activity we see on that side, I think that is the strategy of Aaron O'Toole is, you know, there's this poll showing him a little bit farther behind. I'm sure he's closer when you talk to actual members. And then you can really close that gap with enthusiastic candidates support that's not for you, but you get those second place votes. So we could see something happening later on the later ballots. Yeah. And we've said this before, the rules favor candidates 
you know, establishment candidates with strong name recognition, but they they also support candidates who have a strong organization. And that is where social conservatives excel. And so Jim Carajolios is the other candidate who may get some of the support. SoCons, I've talked to them. They're not huge. They Carajolios says the right things, but the, he's not really has a history as a social conservative. So the two people to watch here are Derek Sloan and Leslin Lewis. And if both of them make it on, that is probably great news. Not, not to say that Aaron O'Toole agrees with them, but he will be courting that vote. And it mm-hmm. is probably good news for him if the social conservative candidates make it onto the final ballot. Yeah. And I think that that Leger poll, it was 38 for McKay, 9 for O'Toole. And then everybody was kind of pulled around that 2% mark, even Marilyn Gladue, who is an MP. And you would presumably think that that platform might boost her up a little bit more. But so far, we're not quite seeing that. And that tends to make this, this is not a, if anyone's going to win that's not McKay, it's going to happen down the ballots on the runoff. So we will have to watch and see where things go from here. We're less than three weeks to go before this final deadline. So before we know it, we're going to be down to what is probably a very small field. I would say, unless there's big surprises, I think we'll, we'll probably be less than five. Yeah. But the big news this week, O'Toole is maybe going to make this more of a race than people thought. So uh, we'll check it back in next week and see what happens and see if there's any fallout from the Kenny endorsement. For Stuart Thompson, I'm Brian Platt. See you next week. 10-3 is produced by Carson Jarama. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to Stuart Thompson and Brian Platt. More from them at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.